Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. Over the course of the next seven episodes, we will be going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Letter of Paul to the Colossians. If you guys aren't haven't studied it in a while, it's really an awesome book. It's, it covers everything, but the overall theme is the supremacy and centrality of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Um, the book of Ephesians covers a lot of the same territory. The book of Ephesians, however, is is written primarily to the church and talks about how Christ is the head of the church. And a, a lot of people believe that the book of Ephesians was actually a, a general letter that was sent to multiple churches. Um, that you know, So there's no one thing that's being pointed out for a specific church. However, the book of Colossians is written specifically by Paul to the church in Colossae. So it's a little bit more personal than Ephesians, and it addresses things a little bit with a little bit more force than Ephesians does because there was some false teachers there that were trying to, uh, you know, Gnosticism was starting to creep in, um, believing that Jesus was a higher being but not fully God, and different things that were happening in that church. Um, so we're going to look at the first 12 verses tonight. So, uh, the, the title for tonight is The Fruit of Christ and how we uh, are called to bear fruit not only in our own lives, but as uh, as we bear fruit, we sh- we plant seeds. You know, like any any fruit that grows on us, you know, from seeds, you, you break it open and there's seeds and they scatter, they fall to the ground and they continue to reproduce. That's what we're called to do. We know the parable of the sower and we talk about how the seed is the word of God. But when we have the word of God implanted inside of us, we are then called to plant seed and to grow and to bear fruit. So that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along in chapter 1, verse 1. Colossians is uh, one of the prison epistles. You'll find it after Philippians um, and before uh, 1 Thessalonians. So let's begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's a, a typical greeting that we find in Paul's epistles. So um, you guys have all heard about how grace, you know, you can't have peace without grace. So I'm not going to reiterate that stuff. But uh, he gets right down to it and he says, we, and he's speaking obviously of him himself and Timothy, but primarily himself. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven so right away we see these three things that paul often harps on and are central to our our faith as christians which is faith love and hope or faith hope and love depending on the order you want to see but we start to see he paul is is really uh wordy oftentimes and his sentences tend to collapse under the weight of them so you really have to take each section by section uh, even commas don't, aren't helpful oftentimes. You have to kind of re-collaborate or recalibrate every time he drops another spiritual bomb on you. But um, he is essentially saying, we thank God when we think about the fact and when we hear about your faith in Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints, and then he says, because. So there's, a, there's something that is the catalyst for their love for all the saints and the faith in Christ Jesus, and it is the hope that's laid up for them and for all Christians in heaven. So oftentimes people say, if you're no, you know, you're too heavenly minded to be earthly good. 
But as we see in the book of Colossians, we are to only be heavenly minded. Otherwise, we are no earthly good. He says in chapter 3, as we'll get there in a couple weeks, to set your mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. So the Colossians are being commended by Paul saying, it's because of the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven that you're able to love the saints the way that God has called you to do so. So that's a challenge for me and a challenge for all of us as Christians, that if we feel that we have a hard time loving the saints, maybe it's because we've forgotten where our hope is. If we feel like our faith is lacking, maybe it's because we've forgotten where our hope is. So oftentimes when we see Paul commending people, it's kind of like a cool inventory that we can do for ourselves. Like, am I, am I feeling this way? Am I doing this? Um, and then in, uh, as he continues on in verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So he's saying, of this. What is he talking about? Again, we have to really break it down. He's talking about the hope of heaven that you have. Where did you hear about this? In the word of truth, the gospel. So that's what we're here for. It's the, the cause of the gospel. The gospel is, if you haven't heard, uh, that Jesus Christ died for our sins because we could not pay God back for the rebellious actions that we continually do. So Jesus Christ took that punishment for us. He was buried for three days, rose again on the third day, and then ascended into heaven and sent us his Holy Spirit to come and then live inside of us. To seal us, it says the Holy Spirit's given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance. And we'll see that Paul talks about our inheritance a lot. But that's the hope of heaven that he's talking about. So when he says, the reason you have hope in heaven, it's because you heard the gospel. And God calls us to be gospel preachers, not just to be standing up here, but even sitting down there. And when we're walking in our jobs and in our schools and everywhere else that we go, he calls us to be gospel preachers in the way that we live our life. You know, you know the old saying, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's the evidence of the love that we have, the hope that we have, and the faith that we have. And that is secured by heaven and the only way we can really come to a true knowledge of that is by the gospel entering our lives and accepting it. And this is where he starts to kind of hit on the point that I wanted to talk about. It says, which has come to you, the gospel meaning, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. When we look at the world today, I'm sure that the last thing we think of is that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. We see all the things on the news that are increasing, hostility towards the gospel, hostility towards Christians, hostility and uh, the ever-abundant increasing of immorality in the world. But rarely do we think that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing because we kind of tend to have a pessimistic attitude. And that's when we're setting our mind on the things of the earth. When we secure our hope in heaven and we set our minds on the things of heaven, we're able to see through what the news tells us to believe is going on. And we see that when you strike the church of God, it scatters and the gospel sets aflame the hearts and souls of, of the world. So Paul is saying, and, and you have to remember, again, I, I, I'll try to remind you guys as we're reading some of these things, because he gets so passionate and so excited. He's sitting in a prison cell when he's writing this. And he says in Philippians that these chains that I have have actually led to the furtherance of the gospel, which oftentimes when we look at persecution, we go, oh, that's scary. I don't want that for myself. I'm content with my family and my job and I go to church and I'm comfortable. This is awesome. This is good Christian life. But it's challenging to us when we see all these things that it tends to scare us even more from being bold and doing things that we're called to do. 
But Paul says, the things that we see as a hindrance are actually intended by God to further the gospel, its effect in our lives and the people around us and how we affect the people around us. So it's always important to remind ourselves of that as we read through Colossians. It says, as it also does among you. So not only is it bearing fruit and increasing in the world, but it bears fruit in your own life and increases in power in your own life. Um, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So that's a heavy sentence right there. I mean, that's essentially probably all one sentence. I think in the translation they add periods and stuff so you can take a breath. But Paul's known for these 10 verse sentences. But essentially, to sum up what he's saying is, you heard of the grace of God. You heard the gospel. You believed it. And by doing that, you put your hope in heaven. Your faith has been strengthened. You now love the saints. And you're the gospel is bearing fruit in your lives and the people that you're loving, the people that you're sharing Christ with. And who did they hear this gospel from? From Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So not only was Epaphras sent to Colossae to start the church, but he came back with the report to Paul and Timothy, and that's why he's rejoicing, because Epaphras was on the front lines telling Paul what was happening in Colossae. So in verse 9 he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, again, Paul's going to say a couple things here, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So as soon as he hears of that faith and love that's coming from Colossae, he says, let's get on our knees, let's pray without ceasing. For what? For the saints to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ himself became our wisdom. That's where we get wisdom from. It's from the Lord. And we'll see uh, in chapter 2, but I'll just read a verse to you. It says, um, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, meaning in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So when we see people debating and stuff, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, but when we feel like we're lacking in wisdom. The true source of wisdom and revelation is Jesus Christ. He's God. He's the word of God in the flesh. So when we are reading the scriptures and we say, I don't really get it. It's not bearing fruit in my life. My life. We have to remember that the author of the book is inside of us and he yearns to reveal the truth to us. It says that the Holy Spirit, it's, Jesus said, it's better for myself to go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he'll remind you of the things that I taught you. So that's what we have as saints. We actually have the, the author of the book, the Holy Spirit. When, when God spoke creation, the very breath as he was speaking and articulating, let there be light, that breath is the same word that talks about the Holy Spirit. And that's very important for us to remember that the breath, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us and wants to illuminate the scriptures and the truth to us. So why do we need to have a knowledge of his will? 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. So not only do we talk about how the gospel starts to bear that fruit out in our lives, but He's saying as we continue to receive wisdom from the Lord, He shows us His will for our lives. And a lot of people get hung up on, I don't know what God's will is. And they want to know what job they're supposed to have. They want to know who they're supposed to marry. They want to know who they're supposed to divorce. They want to know who they're supposed to punch, who they're supposed to hug. They want to know God's will for their life. Because oftentimes we, we over, uh, it, you know, we, we make it more complex than it needs to be. In the Bible, if you do a, a simple phrase search on Google Letter Bible, if you put the will of God, there are several verses that say, this is the will of God for you. That you're, you be sanctified, that you uh, walk out the things that I've told you, that you believe. The, the work of God, you know, not only the will of God, but the reason we want to know the will of God is so that we know what to do. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who's, whom he sent. And God reveals those things as we continually allow the, the word of God to bear fruit in our lives. And when we bear fruit, we have to remember the good works that we receive and do, they're from the Lord anyway. So it's not like we find all these cool things that God never intended for us to do and we end up doing them. It says in Ephesians 2 that, you know, he, it's by his grace that he's given us works beforehand. He's prepared them for us to walk in. It's not of ourselves. So when we, you know, it puts to death the argument of working for salvation or working for God's for being pleasing to God. It's not what he's saying here when he says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him being fruitful in every good work. We're not pleasing to him when we do good works. He's saying it's when we realize that we are fully pleasing to him, it's when we are fruitful in our good works. When we're thinking that we have to please God to do the good works or by doing the good works, our works are not going to be fruitful. They're going to be filthy rags, like it says in the, in the Old Testament. So it's when we come to a understanding and a knowledge of his will that we understand that he has made us fully pleasing to him so that when we have that perspective on who we are, we can then bear fruit in our good works because it's God doing the works through us. It's not us trying to conjure up some spiritual life that doesn't already exist inside. God's already given us everything we need for, for holiness and godliness. So he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, as I was preparing to do this, I was like, well, who am I? Like, what qualifies me to do this church without walls thing? You know, I need someone to say it's okay. Therefore, I feel approved and then I can go do it. It doesn't work that way. It says right here that it's God's glorious might that has qualified you to share in the inheritance with the saints in light. So, when people want to say, like, you know, what are your qualifications? Jesus Christ inside of me. That's the only qualification that I need. Now, that's not to say that you don't need to study the word. And God's just going to say, you know, people take that verse when it says, you know, don't prepare what you're going to speak. And that they take that to mean be lazy and don't study the Bible and never know what to say. God will just fill your mouth up. No, that's not really quite accurate because it says the way you bear fruit is by taking hold of the gospel and allowing it to bear fruit in your life. You can't do that without doing appropriate study. Um, but uh, I love this verse. It says that we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Past tense. You are qualified 
to bear fruit with your good works and to not only that, but by the love that we have for one another, by the faith that we have and the hope that we have, it says we are able to partake in the gospel that is bearing fruit throughout the whole world and increasing, ever increasing the word of the gospel. You know, that's why, you know, I have this, this thing, this blog, the Unchained Gospel. It's, we, we put the gospel here and we say that this is where it belongs, inside church or, you know, we, we, the gospel is believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, which it is. But we leave it there. And then there's a bunch of people that said, well, I prayed this prayer, but they continue on in the life that they're living. They don't allow the gospel to bear fruit in their lives. So it's important that when we look at this idea of fruit, that we understand that not only are we bearing fruit, but it's our job to leave residue, to leave those seeds, to allow other people to be rooted and grounded in God by Jesus Christ. And we see the parable of the sower. We just went through it not long ago on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, those that those that are planted in the ground among the weeds, oftentimes that's where we end up getting stuck because we allow the things as we look around, we say, well, I did this, so I'm no longer qualified to plant the seeds, to bear the fruit, because I did this, or I did this shady deal at work, or whatever. We get choked out by the cares of the world and by the, the riches of this world. But Jesus Christ, it says, in whom are hidden the riches of wisdom, in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom. Jesus Christ is inside of us. We are eternally rich because of that. So... We don't have to get choked out by the cares and the riches of this world because we have all the riches that we need living inside of us, wanting to bear the fruit in us. So, um, now it's not to get distracted because sometimes when things are happening to us, we think it's the cares of this world distracting us. But oftentimes there are things that happen that are to bear more fruit in our lives. And we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. When things aren't going well for us, we say, what's going on, God? This is, this is what you called me to do and it's not working, you know? I was fully prepared to come tonight and for there to be me and my shadow, you know, because I was like, okay, I don't know what to expect. I don't know who's coming. I don't know what's going on. But God said, don't worry about that. That's not what I've called you to worry about. I've called you to do this. So sometimes when things don't go the way we plan, we think God must not be pleased or not must not be happening the way I want. But as we'll see, God actually works and he prunes and he does things that maybe we don't understand at the time, but it's actually to help us bear more fruit. In John 15, he says, <clears throat> excuse me, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In another translation or in, in the Greek, it could also mean that he lifts it up. If it's not bearing fruit, if it's not doing what it was intended to do, then the vine dresser is going to find out why. And he's going to put it in an environment so that it can bear fruit. And every branch that does not bear fruit, or that does bear fruit, he prunes. Which, you would think it says, he takes the fruit, he looks at it, he says, wow, that's good fruit. You know what I mean? It says he prunes that that bears fruit. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. That's not the pain-free process of Christianity that some, uh, some people preach. You know, that everything's hunky-dory, and if it's not, something's wrong with you. God prunes, and he does things, he allows things to come into our life that can be a pruning but it's so that we will bear more fruit, he says. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's so important for us to remember because I think we get a, we get this like go-getter attitude and we leave God behind. And we're like, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do that, you know? And we get like, I can do anything! And then God's like, yeah, but I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> so just because you can doesn't mean I want you to. So we want to make sure that we're always rooted, secured with our hope in heaven like the saints in Colossae because that's going to be where the fruit bears. That's going to be where the fruit grows from the gospel. Once we start to drift, once we start to get ahead of God, that's when all of a sudden things are withering and you're like, why is this happening? Well, it's because we started to focus on the wrong thing. We haven't set our hope in heaven. That's why I said it's, it's not that we get so focused on heaven that we don't do anything on earth. And there are some people, and I understand why people say that, because there's some people that they're just like always up here. And then like a hurting person walks by them. And they're just like, praise God, man. God will work it out for you. See you later. I'm going to go sing some praise songs. Okay, that's great. Thanks. You know, like God also calls us. He says, if you see somebody in need, you help them. So it's not this idea of having this faith that doesn't bear fruit. That's why James, people get all up in arms. It's like, what? He's saying that you should work. No. Colossians points out what it's talking about, saying securing your faith will bear fruit in your life so that your good works mean something. That's what James is essentially saying. He's saying if you're securing your hope in heaven, but you're not loving the saints, but you're not placing your faith, so, you know, oh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, placing your faith in Jesus Christ, when you go to do good works, they're going to be dead. It's the faith that allows us to do the good works that God has called us to do, like it says in Ephesians 2. And a cool verse in verse 16, it says, you did not choose me. So when people say, I found Jesus, they're wrong. Jesus found them. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you said so that you will love one another. I love this because it says, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. It's not like God says, go figure it out, bear fruit. And we're like, uh, okay, I don't know. What does that mean? It says, and when it goes back to Ephesians 2, it always comes back to that. By, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. And then he goes on and says that, God has given us works. He's, you know, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. God is doing the work. God is bearing the fruit. He only calls us to be part of the vine, you know, the part of the branches, be rooted and grounded in him. So this idea, uh, what does it mean for our old life now? Romans 6, 21 and 22 I'll read these verses really quick. I know we don't have the luxury of throwing them up on this imaginary PowerPoint. But um, got to be quick with the pages. Sometimes we can look back at the fruit of our old lives or the dead fruit of our old lives and we can look back with fondness. And that will hinder us from bearing fruit. We saw the, you know, the trials and tribulations and with the seed and the sower and he looks around and he's choked out by all these things and the fruit does not come the way it should. Paul says in Romans... 621 and 22. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The things that we did before Christ. What fruit did we get out of those things? We got no fruit at all. It says, for the end of those things is death. But 
now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. I love that verse. Because we've been set free from sin and we've become slaves of God, and we talked about that on Wednesday night, what that means, the fruit you get now leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What a great, powerful verse, I think. Uh, I'll just read another verse for you guys as we close up. Hebrews, you know, when we, when we see things in our lives and we look at the saints across the world suffering persecution and we say, why is this happening? And uh, um, this is talking in, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, um, sorry, in verse 10, for they disciplined us. He's ta- oh, sorry. He's talking about earthly fathers, how, you know, they discipline us when we do wrong. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And this is the verse that I think is really great. All verses are really great. I didn't mean to to de-emphasize any other ones, but this one really hits it home. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So when we feel that that heat, or we feel God turning up the heat, when we feel the Holy Spirit challenging us about something in our lives, and we're like, I don't like this. You know, the the those that don't have a biblical basis and they're just like, wait, I thought God was the pill that solved all my problems. And we see people on TV and I won't mention names and stuff, but basically everything will always be good no matter what, as long as you and God are like this. Nothing will be painful in your life. If it is, who knows why it's happening, but we're not going to talk about that. We're only going to talk about the good stuff. It doesn't work that way. He says, for, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that's the idea back from John 15 about the pruning and, and how the, 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 the farmer is fixing that fruit to be in the situation that where it will bear even more fruit. So, in closing, I want to look at Galatians 5, obviously, because that's the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about. And God's calls us to bear fruit Um, you guys know Galatians 5. You guys can probably rattle off the, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Or the fruit of the Spirit. I, I misspoke. It's not individual things. And I often struggle with this because I'm like, I'm really good at love, but patience, not so much. I'm really good at humbleness or whatever, meekness, but I'm not good at self-control. Well, it doesn't work that way. Those things come together as a package deal when it talks about the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. So, you know, we sing the song, for the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? There's a nice kid song, and it's helpful because it helps me to remember the fruits of the Spirit. So when you bear fruit in your life, what does it look like? It looks like love. We talked about that already. The love for the saints, not for the saints only, but for everyone. You know, not just people that we agree with, not just people that live the way we think they should live. We're called to love everyone, not to condone, but to love. There are different definitions, even though people want love to mean acceptance regardless of behavior. That's not what love is. Love is choosing in spite of things that may cause us to disagree, may cause hostility, choosing to show them the love of Christ regardless of how they perceive us, of how they treat us, or how they behave themselves. Love, joy, and I struggle with this. You know, being someone who's battled depression and any of you that have struggled with depression, having joy is challenging. 
But God calls us to, to have faith in Jesus, to secure our hope in heaven. When we think about heaven and we think about the destination and we think about the inheritance that we have, how can you not have joy? So that's why he says, the reason you're able to love the saints, the reason that you have strong faith in Jesus Christ is because of your hope in heaven. It's important that we remember that. Peace. There's a great verse in James 3.18. And it says, uh, sorry. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wouldn't you love to be someone who harvested righteousness in the lives of others and in your own life? It says it's sown, meaning you plant that harvest in peace by making peace, which is kind of an interesting concept. Love, joy, peace, patience, trying always. God, one of the reasons, the way he's described himself is long-suffering or patient. So if God is living inside of us, we have no reason not to be patient. He gives us the tools and the power to bear that fruit in our life. Does that always work? I don't know. Not in my life. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That last one always kills me. I have self-control when it comes to other people in my life, but not with my kids. Why is that? I give everybody else the benefit of the doubt, but not my own kids. You know what I mean? Like, there's always, like, God puts those people in your life that they test the fruit of the Spirit in you. Like, it's their job, right? Like, you love everybody until you meet that guy. And that guy, uh, that fruit doesn't qualify for him. It doesn't work. I don't like that. No. You know, you have self-control until this, situ- this particular situation, whether it's financial difficulty or an illness in your family, and it tests your self-control. You know, it, it's, it's really challenging. But God calls us to rise above those things, to bear fruit in spite of our circumstances, because ultimately he's in control. And if we're uh, yoked with him, if we're part of him, as we saw in John 15, he's always going to put us in a position to bear fruit. What he leaves up to us is the yielding to him so that he can do it through us. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So as soon as we try to bear fruit ourselves and we start to strive and make it happen, that's all of a sudden when things start to die on the vine. He says, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to bear the fruit. You just need to yield. You need to secure your hope in heaven by which we can have a grounded faith in Jesus Christ and then love the saints. And that's really important. So that's how we bear fruit as God calls us to do so. 